Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Squad. So, I think we had a really good conversation this go-around. It was so good that I feel we're going to do a part two, and even potentially a part three. So, our guest was the Captain Brian Phillips, and we spoke about internal investigations, uh, internal affairs, and we kind of went down a bunch of rabbit holes off that, which is going to lead us to part two. So, enjoy. How's everybody doing? Great. How are Wonderful. You? For a Monday. It is Monday. You know, I had somebody earlier today, they're like, it's Monday. I'm like, it's still a good day. Yeah. It's, I mean. It's just, just Monday. It's just Monday. It's okay. It's a brand new fresh start. I agree. I totally agree. That's what I mean. It but it's like, Monday. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you got a whole week ahead of you to get stuff done. Yeah. I agree. That's so exciting. <laughs> How was everybody's weekend? <clears throat> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Got yeah. a lot of laundry done. Did you? Yes. I spent time with the kids. Worked a little bit. Thought we were going to get called out. So I stood by for that for a while. So that didn't end up happening. But that no, was all good. And then to prepare for today... I thought maybe we we're going to have a guest, but we don't. But that's okay. You do. It's me. You are the guest. I am the guest. What do you think about that? I'm he not, took notes. I'm not liking it, but <laughs> that's okay. He took notes. Wait, where's Alan? What's he doing today? He's uh, in Colorado. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. It, people can't see, but Patty looks amazing today. Well, thank you. I love the green shirt. Thank you. It looks nice on you. Thanks. Your purple looks nice on you, sir. I think that's lavender. It's fuchsia. It's no, no, oh, that, no. That, no it's, it's lavender. Fuchsia. It's lavender. No, I don't know my colors. Yeah. <laughs> I probably colored mine. That's a good chance. Well, of that. then you'll never be a pilot. Yes, that's right. Or an electrician. Yeah. Neither of which, at my age, I'll probably jump into as a career change. Yeah. Your choices are limited. Yeah. Where do you see yourself after the El Capitan spot? Uh, I see myself, uh, down South with grandkids and our oldest daughter and her husband. And so, yeah, Tampa area, just outside Tampa. That's where I see myself. That's fair. Yeah. Working, not working. Um, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'll do something for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know what exactly the next chapter holds, but. I'll be doing something. I just want to be close to the grandkids. Yeah. I can't be a a long-distance grandparent. It's not in my DNA. So since you're the guest today, if people didn't know, you worked at SIA for how many years before you become a cop here? Ten. Ten years? Mm -hmm. Then he transitioned over around 30... 34. That's how old I am. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, oh, 34. age 34, not 34, age 34 years ago. Okay. No, yeah. At 34, yeah. He What'd you do at SIA? Uh, so I was a, a group leader out there in production. What line? Uh, that was material handling, warehouse. Do you miss it? No. No. Two different worlds, right? Obviously. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, private sector, public sector, you know, it's uh, just. Two completely different animals, without a doubt. I mean, a lot of the leadership principles are the same, but um, 
you know, how how the public sector and private sector goes about their, you know, conducting business on a day-to-day basis is, is very different. So what's interesting is, and we've talked about this several times, he worked with a very good friend of the family of ours, and he met my dad a long time ago, probably when I was a kid, right? Is that- yeah. Yeah, you were, yeah, I think you were probably maybe junior high. So, isn't it funny? It's like small world. But it's pretty cool about this city. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's still that way. It is. Yeah. It's a small world. It's so, <clears throat> to push forward, been here for how many years until you have 20, right? Two? Yeah, less than two. Yeah, like 18. Not that you're counting? 18 and some change. No, I'm not counting. <laughs> As he says, less than two. So less than two years before you have your 20 on, and you're currently the captain of admin services. Yes. And that's why we're here today to talk about IA. That's how everybody knows it. Like in the movies, the cops that are in IA. You mean internal affairs? Internal affairs. Yeah, but they don't say that in the movies. They just say IA. Right. Right? Yes. So you're that guy. Yeah, I'm that guy. (laughs) So there's got to be that guy. You know, every agency has to have the IA guy, right? Right. But the movies, they, I don't, can't think of a better word, demonize it, right? It's like oh, such a horrible thing. Right. But really, it's an actually a good thing for departments, right? For transparency purposes. Yeah, for- absolutely. It's a critical component to any law enforcement agency. Uh, especially ones that are large, well, you know, and, you know, we're considered uh, a large agency when you look at the nationwide on the average of number of employees per police departments, we're considered a large agency. We're at 148. You know, there's, you know, the vast majority are, you know, 25, 30 and under. Yeah. That's 148 sworn. That's 148 sworn. That doesn't include all the civilian personnel, you know? Yeah. So I think the last number that I read or saw was 80% of agencies in the U.S. are 20 officers or less. Yeah. 80%. That's crazy. It is. So us being mid-range, would you consider us mid? No, we're large. We're a large large agency. Yeah. We're, We're considered a large agency. Okay. So with a large agency... We have the IA. So what, I guess, where do you feel we should kick this off? What, I guess, what are your duties as the captain? Well, so, you know, when we talk about, you know, for administrative services, and I think each agency may have a different name for it, but for us, there's a lot that falls under that umbrella. Uh, we've got, you know, the hiring and recruiting piece that's in our division. Um, we've got the crime prevention, the outreach piece. Um, you know, we have the internal investigation side we've got we're in charge of the training mm-hmm. for the agency and then also all our records management and property and evidence falls under administrative services so it's a lot um that that the ad admin division is responsible for yeah so i guess at a larger agency and i have no experience in this they would probably have a separate division or they do for internal affairs yeah i mean yeah i think absolutely you get to some of the much bigger cities like chicago new york indianapolis some of those that are you know that miami i mean that there's no question that they would have their own internal affairs division yeah because it, it just speaking from us if you have a, a case and uh internal affairs case 
How many man hours do you think and people do you believe that takes for one case? Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, that, that it, it's, a, it's a major undertaking, uh, and it, it's kind of hard to put – you know, a number on that, um, it oftentimes depends on who else is assisting on the investigation. Usually if it's, uh, an OIS, which is an officer involved shooting, then there's two of us. And that's usually myself and Lieutenant Milady. So between the two of us, it will take nonstop a week, week and a half to wrap that investigation up. Yeah. That's you gotta, one you got to do it right. Yeah. That's one incident, and it has to be done right, and it's got to be done right for a number of different reasons because you have the, you know, the integrity of the investigation, which is a reflection upon the agency, right, the Lafayette Police Department. Um, you have the, uh, the impact that that has on the officer or officers that are involved, and then you have the impact that it has on the community and the expectation that those investigations are going to be done correctly and uh and the findings are going to be presented and so that's yeah i mean that's a, that's a that's a pretty weighty responsibility when you think about it i agree I've, yeah i've watched you guys run around during those incidents yeah what uh so let's start with the, that first aspect then so the integrity and the transparency of an actual incident so what what all goes into that why why you know, why – well, first off, what what goes all into that? Well, so you've got – you know, if we're talking just an OIS, which, again, it's an officer-involved shooting. Uh, I shouldn't say just an OIS because that's that's one of the, the biggest investigations that I think any agency is going to do. But, um, you know, you've got the criminal aspect of it, right? Um, and you've got the, the laws that are applicable, okay, for, for an officer to utilize deadly force. And then you have the department rules and regulations and the department policies. So there's a lot that goes into that basket. And then you have the enormous number of interviews that you're going to conduct with, you know, the officers that were present or if it was one officer or more than one officer that discharged their weapon. And then uh, you have we live in the day and age now of a body-worn camera and video. So you have so much data that, ha- that you have to review and look at uh, car camera videos, body-worn cameras that the officers are wearing now. Um, and and then you, you take all of that and you make that determination as to whether or not um, the action by the officer was within policy, okay, and or accidental in nature. Um, and then parallel to any internal investigation, you have a criminal investigation which is not handled by administrative services, but is handled by our detective division. And as we all know, because we've done a podcast on that, you know, there's a juvenile side and there's a criminal side to our detective division. And uh, the criminal division, the criminal side handles that separate parallel investigation. So you have basically two sets of findings at the end of the road. You have an internal investigation report and you have a criminal investigation report. Now, do those two entities work together? Uh, no. As far as the investigation is concerned? No. Uh, the, the internal side can get have access to things that are available on the criminal side, but the criminal side cannot have access to information on the internal. Okay. Okay, so when you say 
criminal investigation, who is being investigated? The officer. Is a, like and, and, shooting and, somebody as a crime could be considered a crime if just right. like the, yeah, the act of it in itself could have been a crime, and so you know you have those two separate investigations that take place, and and on the the criminal investigation side for our detectives, they are moving in that direction, and they're fact finding based on information that they're going to present to the prosecutor and or a special prosecutor that may review that case, and our internal investigation is on a separate track that looks at our internal policies and procedures and and as to whether or not that officer was within policy how do the detectives stay objective when they're investigating one of their own well what what we have always tried to do and you know and i was a detective lieutenant for a period of time um, i always tried to do those investigations either myself or another sergeant or another lieutenant within that division would handle the criminal investigation so that we're not having a detective that's being forced to actually do now sometimes it's unavoidable sometimes you know based on the the sheer volume of the number of people that may be involved uh, you're going to have other detectives without rank that may be involved in doing some of the insulary interviews did you were there any incidents to where you were up there and we had an officer involved shooting? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I've, I've handled it on both sides. I've, I've handled uh, the, the criminal investigation as a, as a detective commander. Um, I have been on duty as the patrol sergeant when uh, and had one of my officers uh, on two separate occasions uh, involved in an officer-involved shooting. And then now as – you know, the captain of administrative services, um, I've had three. So, yeah. So I guess the experience is probably obviously good being in your role now of seeing the different angles. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. It, it gives you um, a much better idea. I mean, having that big picture outlook and understanding and the experience from other divisions on how they do things is is very important. I mean, you can't, uh, you can't really put a, you know, you can't underestimate that, that experience. Yeah. It's pretty important. This may be a, a weird question, but do you find that you, is one easier than the other being a detectives investigating it or being an IA? Ooh. Um, no, they're, they're both equally, they're both equally challenging. Just in their own. Yeah, they're both equally challenging. And then, you know, at the end, we have a shooting review board with it, with, uh, within LPD. And uh, it's my job to present the internal investigation findings to the shooting review board. And on the criminal side, it's the detective's responsibility to present theirs. I have so many questions. Let's hear it. Fire away. Okay, so a deadly force, firearms are not the only way that you can uh, use deadly force. Correct. So have there been times when you've had to conduct an, in, an internal investigation on someone who used force that wasn't a firearm, and how is that handled? I have not, no. In, in the last you know, 14 months as a captain of administrative services, I have not. Okay. They've all been, they've all been involved in firearms, but you're right. 
There, there are other instruments that could that could have been used based on the situation that took place and what the officer had available to him at the time. Right. Okay. For an, due to a number of variables. Right. And like we, Ian, Ian is a is a a weapon of deadly force, obviously, right? Okay, if you say so. <laughs> <I'll say. laughs> He's got that killer smile. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Well, and so just to be clear, we, you know, in a deadly force situation to where it's justified, we don't have to use a firearm. I mean, we, it, obviously, right. that's what we train with and whatnot. But along those lines, I mean, if in the moment there's a knife in play or a rock or I don't know, you name it, a car, a vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. And we are justified in using deadly force. Everything's everything's in play. I mean, uh, to make sure that we avoid, you know, somebody being uh, killed or prevent serious bodily injury. You know, if people didn't know, I mean, that's it. Doesn't just have to be a gun or no, no. Well, our doesn't. canine units could be considered deadly force, right? Uh, they are no. there's as, as far as I know there's only one they they are they are not okay. considered a, a deadly force tool no now no. could they i mean it, they're bite dog we have at least one ha- bite dog right we have multiple all of our all dogs, of our dogs are all bite of our dogs, dogs are okay. are bite and drug dogs okay well what does it say was that as far as I know there's only one case to where somebody has died from a, a dog bite but uh so yeah i mean it's there they're Mm-hmm. But they are not trained to kill. They are trained to essentially uh, hold down a suspect so we can apprehend them. So it's all about extremities going after arms or legs. Okay, so this is maybe a different tangent, but I was surprised 25 or 30 years ago when I first heard that officers are not trained to shoot to maim. They are trained shoot to kill. Correct. Can you explain? Bound on that well, it's, it, you're, you, you shoot to neutralize the threat okay. is what you're trained to do. So, you know, once that threat has been neutralized, then, yeah, we're, we're not – we don't fire warning shots. Right. We don't shoot in the arm. We don't try to aim to shoot a gun out of, or a knife out of someone's hand. That is not, that is not what now we the, do. The, the caveat to that is, though, if the arm it's all is presented and there is the threat and we're justified, then yes, we will shoot the arm. We train to neutralize the threat, but we also train to shoot at center mass. So what center mass of what? If you're presenting your whole body and we're justified, then it'd be, you know, center mass of the body, usually the torso, right? Um, but if all you can see is a head and they present that threat, then you're aiming towards the head. If it's an arm, it's an arm, a leg, a leg. So, you know, when you, yes. We're, in the movies, we're not. We don't shoot to maim, right? In the movies, they because when you throw in stress and movement and all that, the the uh, hit ratio diminishes very quickly. And so, when you start trying to aim at a smaller target, the odds of hitting it are very low. So, we train to aim for the largest mass that is presented to us. Um, so, yeah, but yes, to neutralize the threat. So, if they drop the weapon or they don't present a threat after and they they happen to get hit in the hand um you know just because that's where the the round went um then we've neutralized that threat right and then we move into effect and arrest but if it's center mass and, and they succumb to their injuries and they die well then 
lethal force was justified, you know. Um, yeah, it just depends on the situation. It's so dynamic, you know, especially right. with movement. Right. So how, I mean, can you walk me through a scenario when you have different weapons at your disposal and how do you determine which one is the best? That's a great question. Yeah, wow, that's, it, that's, that's all, that's all about training yeah. and it's all, it's muscle memory and it's training and it's, it's based on obviously an officer's experience. It's based on, you know, um, their, their physical capabilities, you know, what they're perceiving at that time is, is huge. It's huge. Um, and I mean, they're, the information that they've received, yeah, the information that they have uh, at the time. I mean, there's just so many things that factor into. You're right. What what tool are they going to use? Right. Um, you know, are you gonna are you gonna pull your taser uh, on a person that's charging you with a knife? No. You know, you're you're probably not going to do that. And why aren't you going to do that? Because we train that. You know, the, the taser is not always effective, and somebody closing the distance with 20 feet with a knife happens like that. They're on top of you like that. And so, you know, there's a lot of different, lot of different variables go into, you know, what, what application of force are you going to use? What tool on your tool belt are you going to use uh, in this particular situation? And not all of them are deadly force. I mean, right. the vast majority, 99.9% of the time, they're not. Um, so Who's around? You know, yeah, are you are by there yourself? people around? Yeah. Are you, you know, there's so many different uh, elements that come into play. It's, it's really difficult to say, but to keep it simple, it's, you know, take all that. And is there the possibility for death or serious bodily injury is really what it, it boils is. Down to. But, but I think, I think what was, what's really, really interesting. And this is something that I think is really the public doesn't understand is the number of times that, uh, throughout the year that officers on this agency would be justified in using deadly force and don't because they are able to de-escalate, they're able to engage verbally, There's, they're, they're able to use other tools such as a taser or a baton. Um, you know, there's multiple officers on scene. They're able to tactically deal with the situation. And there, there's just a lot of situations that occur that I think the public would be really shocked to, to know the, the number of times that deadly force could be utilized and is not. Could be according to department policy. By policy, by law. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's man. There's, that's such a loaded question i mean there's so many circumstances that come into play yeah you know the environment and again who's around yeah so i mean i think it's just uh, that's where training comes into play and and making sure that you know you're confident in your abilities and that's why you know i kind of pride myself on when we when i put on trainings i try to i try to put them in the most i, I try to up their stress level um, and put them in realistic situations or situations, obviously that, that could ha- could happen, and um, give them those no shoot shoot opportunities is what we call it, training to where it's like it do- it's not always you always shoot the bad guy, you know. That's we don't train that way. We give them scenarios to where you know maybe there's potential, but maybe you can apprehend them in another way. That way, they see both ends of it and they see different ways to to. Uh, 
solve the problem, I guess you'd say. Um, I think it's important, and we do, I think we do a great job at that. Uh, as instructors, you know, again, we are a larger agency, so we have those abilities and resources to give good training to where a lot of agencies, unfortunately, don't. You know, either they don't have the training, the manpower, the money, mm-hmm. you name it. And so um, I think we're, we do a good job of that. We've got a lot of good training coming up this year. Yeah. And I, it's constant. It is constant. It's constant. And, and we, we lead the way in that category, hands down. I, I don't think there's anybody – that that comes close to touching us and in the way that we train and we have we hire officers on a regular basis that that have that know about and the reason why they're applying with us is because of the training opportunities that we have and and the type of training that we do and how we prepare our officers each day and you know in 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 a wide range of subject matter right you know not just you know you know, uh, defensive tactics or, you know, handgun, but in a wide range of areas that make them a very well-rounded officer. And so I, I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. And I, I think that's, you know, to me, that's just, that's always been one of the cornerstones of this agency, you know, going back, you know, 18 years ago when I got hired, there was such an emphasis on training and it has continued to this day. And in large part because of people like Ian, and others and uh, that put forth the effort and make the sacrifices to become instructors and and spend the time to put officers through real life situation, you know, as real as we can make it, right? Mm-hmm. As realistic as we can make it. So that prepares them. So, you know, when, when they're faced with an incident, that's what kicks in. It is your training that takes over. It's always going to be your training that takes over. And, you know, Ian and I were talking about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago about, you know, the, you know, the constant mental rehearsing that we have to do. And for us that have kind of an administrative assignment and we're here at headquarters and that we have offices, right, doesn't mean that that we shouldn't also be mentally rehearsing for something that may happen literally 30 seconds from now right outside these doors right and how is how are he and i going to respond to that Uh, and if we're not thinking about it then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stop right i mean there's gonna be this pause and you're gonna have to figure out what it is that you're dealing with and how are you going to respond to it and that's going to delay the response and potentially cause someone to get hurt or worse yeah or us that's complacency yeah it absolutely is complacency so every environment that you have and i know we're going down rabbit holes here but every environment regardless if you're a sworn member of this agency whatever your assignment is whatever your environment that you're in whether it's driving into work or being here in the building or out on the street as an officer whatever it is you should constantly be going through mentally mental scenarios and rehearsing stuff. And if you're not, then setting yourself up for failure and absolutely. people around you. And it absolutely. is constant. And, and you know, every, every spouse of an officer knows you go to a restaurant and the officer never sits with their back to the door. Yeah. You're scanning, you're looking at people, you know, why is that guy looking like that? Why is he dressed like that? You know, just all the time. But not only that, you know, it's also not only about, there's so many elements, not only training, but training yourself, taking care of yourself. You know, it's all that stuff so important. And that's why I am so passionate about the emphasis of making sure guys, you know, are eating right, getting good sleep or working out. I mean, that is absolutely necessary 
in making those decisions, you know, um, to be able to bounce back from those high stress situations. If you are in good health, you're going to bounce back quicker. Right. Um, and again, I know we're going down rabbit holes, but it's all related. You know, I was at an agency two years ago now, and I was looking at their wall of fallen officers dating back to like, I want to say it was like 1950, 1940. And I remember there being at least 40 plaques of fallen officers, and seven of them were from heart attacks. And I think all of them were on duty. Wow. And so, you know, right there is that preparedness aspect of those. I'm sure there's one that couldn't have been prevented, right, uh, due to genetics or whatever. But I, I'm confident that a lot of those could have been prevented if, you know, they would have been exercising and prepared themselves both mentally and physically to respond to those, those incidents. Um, and that's why, you know, we need to change that culture now. And we were talking about this and, you know, that's part of the reason we went to that. We went to some training last week on that and heading to some training this week. But, uh, you know, we want to make sure our partners go home at night, you know, and, uh, we'll, we'll do the investigation. You know, that's to me, the IA is just, it's obviously needed to make sure we make the right decision, but it's transparency because a lot of times, and we were, I was going to ask you about this, you know, why do we do our own investigations? Because there's a lot of agencies that have an outer ag- or outside agency come and do the investigation. So I'll, let, I'll leave that one for you. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think oftentimes, you know, obviously this is a podcast and it's for the public, right? And I think the public oftentimes asks, well, you investigate your own. Well, that doesn't seem right. Why, why are you doing the investigation? And there are a lot, like I mentioned earlier, smaller agencies out there that don't have the capacity to handle that type of an investigation. And so they farm that out, whether they farm it out to the state police or a, another large agency that has uh, additional people that they and resources they can send in to, to do that. We are large enough that we can uh, uh, support that, and we have been able to for a long time. But at the same time, um, another agency is not familiar with your policies and, and your rules and regulations. And, and we have a division that is, is focused specifically on that. Um, and that's, that's a big deal, but, you know, and not all the internal investigations that we do revolve around an OIS incident, right? So there, there are internal investigations that from time to time spin up that have absolutely nothing to do with an officer involved shooting. Right. And And that's, that's kind of a big thing. And I'm, I'm certain we have some listeners who have tuned in just to find out what happens when a civilian files a complaint and how that's done. Yeah. Yeah, so you know uh, when when a when a civilian uh, member of the public calls and comp- makes a complaint on an officer, you know from that point right then and there that that complaint is fielded and it's documented and it's investigated all the way through until you know we have the ability uh, we we take those steps to facilitate that investigation and sometimes that involves uh, having to sit down with the officer. In the day and age of body-worn cameras, those things are readily available. You can tap into that, and you can look and take a look at the officer's conduct uh, during that interaction, and you can make a determination pretty quickly without a whole lot of additional steps needed as to whether or not they violate any policy or not. You know, I haven't been privy to that, but 
I would think that would be a game changer because I know on the street when I was on patrol, when somebody would start yelling whatever, you just look at them and be like, hey, you say whatever you need to say because it's all on camera right now. And, that you know, it kind of blends in with the rest of our gear. And I remember specifically some faces that, like, kind of look at you like, oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize. And so those complaints now, like you said, we can now pretty quickly, for the most part, tell you if they were, you know, legit or not by merely going back and looking at the camera. And so I think that's really helped either, you know, hey, yep, this officer did such and such, or no, I've, I watched a video and that never happened. And so I think that's been huge, right? Yeah, it has. But like like with anything, when you when you implement a piece of equipment like that, the initial reaction by officers who've never had to wear that camera and who have been police officers and grew up in a culture where that, you know, they didn't have quote big brother, you know, looking in on them. Um, that was a tough mindset initially and it, and it was a learning curve and it took, it took, you know, several years for people to understand it's come full circle. You know, those incidents have, you know, countless times exonerate officers of wrongdoing based on, your body worn camera. And I think, I think officers see the value in that now. Right. Whereas before, you know, they might get pulled into an internal investigation. The other officers on the call might get pulled in and have to provide interviews. You know, you're getting statements from all, you know, different people that may have witnessed it to piece together that picture. Now that patrol commander, like literally their Sergeant or Lieutenant that, it, that fields that call, that initial complaint, um, can, in five minutes, access it, look at it, and make a determination as to whether or not anything occurred that shouldn't have. And that is a big deal. It really is. It's a time saver, and it it, it is that um, it, it is that piece that that officers I think look at now and go, yeah, this 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 is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. And so the bottom line is is those complaints get looked into. And then obviously there's there's action taken if the officer's in the wrong and if they're exonerated, it we keep pressing forward, you know. And then is it part of procedure to let the complainant know yes. the results? Yeah. Yes. Well, I think that's important regardless if they're right or wrong, you know. Um, well, yeah, but, you know, oftentimes this is about perception, right? Yes. It, it's. I mean, that's so much of what we do, you know, in in, in society as a general. It's about people's perceptions. Um, and you know, I would say, you know, 90% of the time when you, when you call someone back and you walk them through it and you explain the situation to them, um, it isn't, you know, that they, they understand they're like, okay, that, that makes sense to me. I didn't understand at the time. It makes sense now. Uh, thank you for, for calling me. Thank you for looking into this. I appreciate that. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Cause it, again, at the end of the day, a lot of people don't quite understand why we do what we do when we do it right and in our world violence occurs you know and we may be the one taking that violent action and people don't understand you know whether it's yelling or having to hit someone or whatever you know be forceful with somebody so that makes sense you know um i personally like the fact that we police ourselves and i never even really thought about the uh you know, we know our rules, regs, and policies, and another agency doesn't. I never even really thought about that. Yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, we make sure that we're on the up and up because I, I believe it's important just 
for all of us, right? Because one bad, bad egg affects us all. We all get that, that yeah. you know, oh, now. And it's about accountability. Yeah. And, and it isn't just internal affairs that should be holding anyone accountable. We hold each other accountable. That's our job each and every day because of the position that we have uh, and the trust that people have to have in us. So I think, I think sometimes where some agencies get in trouble is when they don't do their due diligence when they, you know, in an internal investigation. And that, yes, can, can be very problematic and expose you to a lot of criticism. Um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, one other point, you know, just to be brutally honest, I mean, it, it would be very easy to pass the baton off to some other agency, right? It'd be very easy to say, hey, here, you know, state police come in and investigate ROIS. We don't have to do anything then, right? We have another agency that we've just basically said, here, we want you to do this now. And they'll come in and they would do that. Um, why, you know, that, to me, that doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, I, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, uh, unless you're not doing that investigation the way it should be done. Yeah. And then that, there you could have, there could be some problems there. Well, it's really no different. In the the private sector, right? I mean, would would uh, since we were talking about SIA, would SIA have somebody come in if they had an employee issue and have somebody else deal with it, or would they deal with it themselves? Right. Yeah, they deal with it themselves. I mean, they're not going to call Caterpillar and have them come over and <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking of two big companies. <laughs> You're right. Right. They, they're not going to have right. them call. So really, at the end of the day, what's the difference? Right. Their their human resources department would would handle that. You're, yeah. You're and correct. We, but but there's a difference here, and and the difference is. You know what? What is it that that we as police officers have? What what power is authority to take people's us? freedom away? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in the private sector, you know, barring a, a, the laws that allow citizen arrest, there, that isn't there. You know, so I think that's oftentimes becomes the rub with people when they look at agencies that ha- that do their own internal investigation. That's fair. But I mean, but, I get it. What they also don't understand is, you know, that criminal investigation that's done separately goes to a third party, i.e. the prosecutor's office or a special prosecutor in some cases, one's appointed, and they review all the facts of that criminal investigation. So they're also so they are making a determination on whether or not, you know, any any laws were broken. You know, did that officer act lawfully <clears throat> in that particular situation, whereas we are looking at the the internal side for policies and procedures and rules and regulations is lpd ever asked to conduct investigations for other departments not on the internal no on the criminal from time to time yes uh going back to the whole prosecutor thing and if i don't there's a lot of people don't realize that when there is an officer involved shooting that officer that case that criminal case does go to the prosecutor and that officer gets a letter just like anybody else. Obviously, if they are indicted on charges, that happens. But if they're not, they, they get a letter saying, hey, this case has not been filed. You know, essentially, you were in the right. So, I mean, just like any other person. And I don't think people realize that. They think that, oh, you just, you know, shoot somebody and you go about your business. No, there is there is a process. And like you said, there's a, it did a crime, was a crime committed, and that's what the detectives are out to do and the prosecutor does the checks and balances yeah so. was was the application of deadly force lawful yeah and on the set on the on the internal side was it within policy 
And, and those are those are two big questions that that have to be investigated completely, and they have to be answered. Um, but a but a third party um, makes the decision on the criminal side. So, did you have a question? Sort of. Go ahead. It's just random. Oh, okay. How often do accidental discharge happen and discharges happen, and do you have to investigate those as well? Uh, they're not accidental. They're negligent. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm just, we're learning. Thank you here. for the correction. <laughs> uh, occasionally. Yeah. Not very often. They're, they're pretty rare. They're very rare. Um, they have happened though. They have happened. And, and I've investigated one. Yeah. So it's policy to investigate yes. anytime a firearm is discharged. Yes. Yeah. It, with the exception of the, de- the destroying an animal. So if there's a, if a deer that has been struck by a car and an officer has to put the animal down, um, if it's still alive when the officer gets there. So that is an exception that would not be investigated by administrative services. Okay, so I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Are, are officers allowed to use their department-issued sidearms on a personal uh incident so like if they went out in the country and were you know going to shoot tin cans or something off of in the middle of a field you know just to target practice or something and is there a way to i don't know keep track of how many bullets they have how do you check all that how do you so, make sure that they're yeah. being responsible so the answer the answer to your first question the first part of that question is yes they can but they would have to use their their own personal purchased ammunition okay. for something like that. Uh, and now, if it's if it's a sponsored training by the agency, then we would provide ammunition. So we have duty rounds and we have uh, practice rounds. So for an officer that would like to go out in the field with their duty weapon and 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 do some target practicing to try and you know stay proficient, then yeah, that's that's legal. You can do that by policy, but you need to use your, you know, personally purchased ammunition, not the, okay. not the actual duty rounds. So I'm just making sure that everybody's responsible with their guns. No, absolutely. I mean, and although we do get a lot of training, you know, more, the more, the merrier. Yeah. So and and officers are, shoot. yeah, they're encouraged. I mean, they, they should, you, you shouldn't just, go out and shoot during the the sponsored events throughout the year because we do it monthly. I mean, we have m- monthly time at the range, uh, which is a lot more than most agencies do. And so we do that monthly. And for, we encourage officers, absolutely, you know, on your off time, if you want to go to an indoor range here in town or if you have a safe place somewhere in the county uh, that with a good solid backdrop that, you know, those rounds aren't going anywhere, then yeah, absolutely. You should be, you should be practicing on your own time. We encourage that. So what happens if somebody's on their personal time practicing and something happens, something bad happens from the result of them, I don't know, target practice. Well, if they, if, if it's their department issued weapon, then that's something that's that we're going to investigate. Well, I think to be fair, it's, 
it's regardless of what weapon they're using. If something okay. bad, whatever bad, whatever you're thinking, it's going to get investigated regardless. Well, yeah, I mean, just yeah. So, so you know, you've got two things, right? I mean, you know, you've there's going to be a criminal investigation, and you know, depending on the severity of the outcome of you know what 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 it is that has occurred, um, there may not necessarily be an internal. Um, they were off duty and not on duty, and maybe they were using their department issued weapon. Maybe they were not. There could have, there could be an internal, and it's likely that that would that would occur as well. But it, again, it would just depend on the circumstances. That's just a good example of how our officers are held to a higher standard. Yeah, I think anything they do in their personal private life is subject to scrutiny. Yes, well, it is. Yeah, that's actually I was going to say that as well. That. We are held to a higher standard in pretty much anything we do on off-duty, rather, um, is going to be looked at deeper than if you work at, you know, Walmart or, you know, wherever, you know, to where if you do something off-duty, if it's <laughs> off-duty, if you're not at Walmart and you're not working and you go and do something, the likelihood of nobody's going to call Walmart and say, hey, guess what your employee just did, you know. Right? Is that fair to say? I mean, that's well, ex- probably not going to happen. You know, I would say unless it's something very violent or over the road, truck drivers have you know bumper stickers. How's my driving? Yeah, they're watched. Yes, they are, but not in their POV. No, that's correct. Right? That's right. So Personal. cops, regardless of where they're at, off Excuse duty, me. on duty. You used an acronym. We have to explain it. What's that? POV. Oh, personally owned vehicle. Sorry. Oh, you caught that. I was like, I said cops. <laughs> yes, constable no. on patrol. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, and which is fine. I mean, we signed the dot. I'm not asking for any sympathy. But really, at the end of the day, anything we do is going to be looked at, scrutinized more or differently than anybody else. Patty has to go. Get out of here. I, oh, hey, oh, what's up? Hey, because your voice is going to disappear. And, disappear. Yes. and yes. People are probably well, going to be like, well, I mean, where'd Patty go? We're, we're, probably, we're probably winding down here anyway. I mean, we're But no, I think this is that. something that we need to continue. I think this is a good conversation, and we didn't even touch the aspect of how it affects the officers and how it affects the community. Right. 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 So and I just, let's make that. I barely mentioned that earlier, but you're absolutely right. The officer, their families. Hey, and, well, you know, no, 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 no. No talking about it right now. We're going to do a part two and part three. Oh. What do you think? Part three. I love it. Maybe. You think there's a part three to this? Maybe. That could be. All right. I, I liked it because as someone who only knows about police work from television, I mean, all you hear about IA on TV is the cops roughing up people and taking their money or having some drug enterprise on the side. So it's kind of neat to hear about the real stuff y'all are involved with. Yeah, movies are – movies – and this is we'll, – we'll talk about this in part two, but movies, I feel, hurt us more than anything. No, Not more sure. than anything, but they definitely hurt us because of that perception, like yeah. you said, the perception. But we're not going to talk about it because we want you to tune into part two. So – Everybody have a great day. Patty. That's a teaser. Keep looking amazing. Tom, thank you. Peace out. Captain, you as well. And we are out. This has been Inside the Squad, a podcast from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is a community outreach podcast and is hosted by Specialist DNO Shields and Captain Brian Phillips of the Crime Prevention Unit within the department. Production assistance provided by the City of Lafayette IT Department. You can email us show ideas or questions at podcast at lafayette.in.gov. Be sure to join us on Instagram, Twitter, Nixle, 
and next door. Thanks for listening.